Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Big week. We have the Electoral College made it official. Donald Trump won. Wow. He won. Wow. And there were more rogue electors against Hillary Clinton than I mean, against for Donald all the Trump. talk Ugh. about the rogue electors and they would go and they would vote against Trump. I mean, Hillary. What was, yeah. it? What was the final tabulation on that, Rick? Yeah, Hillary ended up uh, losing five votes that she earned, in fact. Uh, and, uh, and Donald Trump only lost two. So I, I haven't so seen a tweet. even won that. <laughs> It's <laughs> right. Even it's a landslide. Even there, even there, it, it it goes, and we see we see Donald Trump now sparring with Bill Clinton a little bit. Bill Clinton airing some of the the grievances. We're a month away from the inauguration, John. It strikes me that you, you don't have Democrats having come to terms with this no, <laughs> with this loss no. yet. They're still dealing with the aftermath with the fallout, and, and now it is of course official. And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to be talking with really the person that is the most powerful Democrat left in Washington, Chuck Schumer, the incoming. Senate Minority Leader, uh, somebody who uh, you know Trump Trump's going to have to work with, and he's the guy. As as we were just talking offline here, he's the guy more than any other Democrat that can stymie the Trump agenda or uh, or work with Trump. Yeah, watch Chuck Schumer th- throughout this. He's going to control a very important uh, caucus of forty eight. Democrats, uh, and uh, the, he, he's already had some some close communications with Trump, and uh, we'll see how that relationship develops. But being now that we're a month out, John, the, the cabinet is mostly formed. Mm-hmm. Trump Trump has done that. Right. Uh, Mitt seen, Romney didn't make state, right? I, I, I've been <laughs> last that, I checked, okay. I think you know that got more serious than, than people thought. It was, it was close, close yeah. a close call. Uh, and he's got this team in place, but I still think people don't know what he's going to do with it. There's a big mystery around that. He he hasn't been particularly shy about saying what what he wants to do, but he still hasn't had that news conference. We really don't know, except by secondhand reporting and some congressional folks, what the first hundred days is going to look like. What is the big it's legislative priority? I'm sure he'll be making America great. There's no question about that. But but it, there there's still a what are we what are we in for in a month in Washington? I don't think anyone has a real sense of that. Yeah, no, it's uh, we're, we can be sure that we're in for uh, in for something of a wild ride. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, if you, you talk, I, I've spent a, a fair amount of time talking with top people on the Trump transition team, and they, they're they talking about a very ambitious uh, beginning that will be not just, you know, rolling out some uh, some legislation on, 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 you know, areas that some areas that they want to work with Democrats, uh, like Chuck Schumer on, on infrastructure, uh, but a very aggressive approach to uh, repealing uh, or, or taking down Obama's uh, executive orders. Um, I wouldn't be surprised him to do some work even on the issue of pardons early on. I mean, there, there's a lot. You know, you're you're going to see the power of the presidency right. uh, in, 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 in the first 100 days here. Not, not, just, not just in terms of the agenda in Congress, but, but what he can do unilaterally from the White House the minute he steps into the Oval Office. Yeah, and then, and then immediately they, they'll move to Obamacare, and there's going to be those congressional relationships Yep. That, that dominate, and uh, of course, this is this is a group that's pretty uneasy with him. It, it, it's not including like, the Republicans. That's I mean, right. I, you know, yeah. I think we talked some time ago uh, about how you know, in some ways, you could look at Trump as the first independent president. I mean, yeah. he is somebody that uh, Republicans are pretty, you know, pretty jazzed on Capitol Hill. Is my sense. They think that a Trump is not a real detail guy. Uh, and that he's going to sign legislation. They control the House and the Senate. They believe they can pass uh, significant bills that will now be signed by a Republican president. But, you know, they're they're wary about where, what he's going to look like, too. I mean, they... Yeah, and then, and then there's Russia, John. I mean, then, oh, then, yeah. then there's Russia. With Which, the, by the way, later in the show, we are talking... Do you know this, Rick? Uh, you I, and I are interviewing a former 
director of the CIA. That's right. Uh, somebody who has a unique perspective on this whole issue of, of the Russian hacking, or alleged, alleged, Rick, uh, Russian hacking. And an issue that's, that's confounding many Republicans who would tend to be more aggressive in their stance toward Russia. They're seeing Donald Trump just reject the evidence that so far has been presented to him. Um, some daylight there from top members of his team saying they're looking forward to a report that, that spells this out. We'll talk to Senator Schumer a little bit about what Congress uh, is looking to do in terms of the investigation. But that's got to overhang all of this and made more people even more uneasy with this transition period is what's been learned about uh, Russian interference and attempted interference, uh, enough interference that Bill Clinton thinks that's what cost his wife the election. And, and Rick, I'm told that Senator Schumer is on the line. Senator Schumer, thank you for joining us. Hi, nice to be with you. So we're, uh, we're just a month away from the uh, President Donald Trump, uh, this being official, sworn in, moving into the White House and commencing his, uh, his first 100 days agenda. How, how much uh, interaction have you had already in this transition with, with Trump and with his team? Um, not very much with his team, to be honest with you. Um, with Trump, uh, President-elect Trump, he's called me four or five times uh, on different subjects, and uh, we've had cordial conversations. And what's your sense for this first 100 days agenda? We, we don't know much about what he's going to do. We, we've heard some broad brushstrokes, but there's been a lot of talk about a big infrastructure bill. In fact, uh, I don't know if you saw the, 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 the uh, comments from uh, uh, Jared Kushner uh, suggesting that Trump actually agrees with you a lot more on infrastructure than he does with Republican leader Mitch McConnell. Uh, you think you'll be working together? With Trump in these well, first 100 days, we're I've talked to him, him a little bit about this, and, you know, I've told him that uh, Democrats have always believed in a big, broad infrastructure bill. Um, we think it should be large. He's mentioned a trillion dollars. I told him that sounded good to me. Um, uh, but I told him that, you know, you couldn't do the kind of infrastructure building we need in America with just tax breaks where about 80 cents on the dollar goes to the people, the investor, and not enough money goes to the highways. Furthermore, um, with tax breaks, you need a good revenue stream to pay them back, and lots of our projects don't merit that. So I told him that, and I told him that, you know, if he's going to cut <laughs> Medicare or Social Security or education or all these standard programs to pay for this, that would not meet uh, with our favor, I said to do this in the way that at least we wanted to do it, um, he'd need to alienate a good number of his right-wing Republicans who are not for spe These were the folks who held up even a much smaller infrastructure bill for five years in the House, and he said he realized that. And so we'll see what happens. I mean, on the administration in general, I don't think anybody knows uh, what they're going to do. I have said both publicly and privately to the president-elect, that, you know, he was elected on opposing both the Democratic and Republican establishments. If he sort of gets captured by the Republican establishment, especially the hard right part of it, um, which many of his cabinet choices seem to indicate the direction he's moving, I said he's going to have a rough, I think he wouldn't be a successful president. And it would be different than what he campaigned on. Uh, we'll see what he does. I don't so, know. I don't have any idea. So the, the, these conversations you've had, and by the way, it strikes me, I, I, I don't know the answer. And I don't know if you do, but I, I would wager that he's probably talked to you more than Barack Obama talked to 
uh, Mitch McConnell during that transition. So I, I find I that... I couldn't tell you because I don't know the second part of the equation. I, don't, I know how much he's talked to me. I don't know how much Barack Obama and Mitch McConnell spoke during that their transition. What, what, are, what are these conversations like? First of all, does he, does he reach out to you on your, on your cell phone? Or, uh, yes. On, uh, yes. yes. It, usually once he called me and I was passing by the Trump golf course in Throgs Neck in the Bronx in New York, you know, the new golf course he yep. built. He said, well... I said, I'm passing by, I think it was Thanksgiving Day, actually, because we were driving up to visit my brother in Connecticut. And he, I said, I'm passing by the Trump golf course. And he said, well, they couldn't build it for 29 years, and then I built it in a year. And is it just, hey, Chuck? Like, what, is he, what, is it, how, what are the introductions like? I, well, it's, it's not a formal conversation with him. You know, he's, yeah. he's not a formal man. Um, it hasn't been at great length. You know, we didn't, we really didn't know each other that well when he was in New York. I mean, I never went to dinner with him or played golf with him or anything like that. Uh, I would see him occasionally at New York events, and that would be it. And we'd say hello and always be cordial. So I, I want to turn to the, uh, the, 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 the issue of hacking on this election, uh, and particularly your call for a special select committee to investigate yes. Russia hacking. Now, we know that the administration, the, the current administration, is, is planning to investigate this, and, and Barack Obama has said he hopes by the end of his, his tenure that we have something. We know that the, the Senate chairman, Senator Burr, is planning on working with Senator Warner. Why can't this be handled during those, with those channels? Do you not trust... Senator Burr's committee, uh, along with Senator Warner, to, to make this happen? It's, it's really not a question of trust. It's that there are so many overlapping jurisdictions. Five or six committees would have jurisdiction. I mean, to have each witness testify before each of them is the least of the problems, although that is time-consuming. Uh, it's three reasons. First, um, there will be holes. If, if different committees that have different pieces of this each look into it, clearly there are going to be things that are left out. Second, what happens when there are contradict when there's contradictory information? It's been reported that the FBI thinks one thing and the CIA thinks another thing. FBI goes through Judiciary Committee. CIA goes through Intelligence Committee. What happens there? And third, I think you need some real focus on this. If foreign powers are actually trying to influence our elections, as many report has happened. I haven't gotten the intelligence briefings that I'm entitled to yet because I'm not yet leader. That happens January 3rd. But if it has happened, it's serious stuff and it needs real focus. And each of these committees is going to be very busy at the beginning of the new president's term. Uh, there's nominations and getting people uh, put into positions. There's a whole lot of those, hundreds. Uh, there's new legislation. And so a select committee, to me, makes eminent sense. It's not an aspersion on any one committee. It's just logically it makes a great deal of sense, and I think there are a lot of people who feel that way. Do you and many on the Republican side, I think, feel that way. Uh, you know, they know that Senator McConnell is, had not come out for it, so they're keeping their powder dry. But the informal chatter I get is that they think it's a good idea. So do you believe, uh, as, as President Clinton said this week in Albany when he cast his vote in the Electoral College, that, that this was one of the big reasons that cost Hillary Clinton the election, that Russian interference was an obstacle that she just couldn't overcome? You know, I'll leave that to the political scientists. Uh, we can look back on elections and you can point to 10 reasons that 
Trump won or Hillary lost, and uh, you never know. People can speculate. Uh, I'm not going to speculate. Regardless, I'm trying. To, I think this select committee and the investigation it does should not be political. It should not be like the Benghazi select committee was, which was, you know, sort of very, very political, turned that way. Um, and I'd rather, I think we just have to get to the bottom of this for the future of America. Obviously, the Electoral College voted yesterday. Uh, they put uh, Donald Trump in as president because uh, he did get a majority of the electoral votes. Um, but that's not the issue here. The issue that we're looking at is not the previous election. But what Russia has done in the past, what other countries have done in the past, what they might do in the future, and how we can stop it, generally on infrastructure and cyber theft, but particularly on influencing election, which is a step beyond anything Americans had ever imagined uh, six months ago. So looking to the nominations that we've seen so far, and we've seen most of the big ones, uh, you, you think that Trump's going to have a hard time getting his cabinet uh, confirmed. Well, where, 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 where do you see the biggest fights? Is you know, it going to be Rex Tillerson and his ties to look, to, to Russia? Is it I, be? You know, I think most Republicans, if not all, have a have a uh, instinctive reaction to support the president's nomination. So uh, that's that starts as a given. But if you have good hearings, extensive hearings, if the uh, members, the nominees, are forced to are required to uh, have FBI background checks, to have Office of Investigation, of Ethics Investigation documents uh, come forward, to have their tax returns come forward. You may find things that uh, in, in these nominees uh, that uh, even turn some Republicans off. So our first goal is to have extensive hearings. At minimum, they will reveal these candidates' views. Many of their views are different than President-elect Trump's, notably you know, one that just sticks out like a sore thumb is Representative Price, who's been for privatizing Medicare uh, and Medicaid. Donald Trump said in the campaign he wouldn't touch him. It was against privatization. So at the very minimum, we should see hear the views of these uh, nominees and what they'll do once they get in, because they don't, the nominees themselves, based on their positions, don't have an electoral mandate. And if things come out that really America finds upsetting and upset some of our Republican colleagues, they might not be confirmed. Do you regret that rules change? I mean, you, you can't, because of the rules change you pushed through, you can't filibuster these nominees. Yeah, you, well, you Democrats can't stop them. Frankly, without I, Republican was help. For, I was for having 60 votes for the Supreme Court where I prevailed and 60 votes for the cabinet where I didn't prevail um, because I thought they both should get bipartisan support. Um, the you know in terms of changing the lower level courts, I mean we had faced such blockages. I went uh, to uh, Lamar Alexander and I said you have four vacancies. I think it was four. It may have been three on the second most important court of the land, Court of Appeals. President Obama nominated moderate people who were getting bipartisan votes in committee, and you're not letting them come to the floor. We couldn't hold back a rules change. Our members were so upset if they didn't change mm -hmm. it. And so, uh, you know, that's where things are at. So we, we talked a moment ago about about your counterpart on the Republican side, uh, Senator McConnell. And, and Mitch McConnell famously said, as you recall, early in President Obama's first term, that the single most important goal 
that he saw for Senate Republicans at the time was making Barack Obama a one-term president. Wh- what are you thinking about as your single most important goal? And is, and is making Donald Trump a one-term president part of that? Well, look, I think what we have to do is on issues where we disagree with the president-elect, we have to stand strong and firm. Uh, We'll be doing that on ACA. We'll be doing that if they try to repeal Dodd-Frank, two of the most landmark decisions that, or landmark uh, pieces of legislation that were passed and signed into law under President Obama. I would not, I told the president-elect, I've said it publicly over and over again, we're not going to oppose something simply because it has the name Trump on it, but we will certainly not sacrifice our principles just to get something done. Infrastructure is one that I mentioned to you where we have certain criteria. Another area of possible agreement is trade, where I think my position is closer. I don't agree with President-elect Trump's solutions, but I agree with his diagnosis. I'm more close to that than I am to Barack Obama or George Bush's, and so are a lot of Democrats. So we're not going to rule out working with him on anything, but we're not going to sacrifice our principles just for, quote, a show of bipartisanship. So what what do you say to those Democrats who say this is – Trump is not a legitimate president, not my president, and who are going to be out there from, I mean, literally from day one, plans for uh, for protests on the inauguration, protesting no. him, not working with him. What do you, what do you say to wrong, those? Nothing wrong with protests. And, right. you know, there's a great deal of worry in the land based on what happened during the election, and even more so with some of these nominations to cabinet positions that are much further to the right than Trump campaigned on, and that's the American way. And uh, I say, just I say to them what I've said to you, which is we're not going to sacrifice our principles uh, if we can work with the president without doing that, fine, but we'll have to wait and see. All right, Senator Schumer, thank you for joining us. Nice to talk to you both. Bye-bye. Thank you, Senator. So I, we'll, we'll, get, we'll follow up on this, Rick, but uh, he said he'd spoken, what, four times uh, yeah, yeah. With, uh, with Donald Trump. I, I, I'd four or some, five, yeah. Four or five. I, I'd put some money on it that, uh, that there weren't four or five phone calls uh, from uh, Barack Obama to, uh, to, to, to Minority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell. Yeah, it's a totally in, in, in 2008 in the in the transition period. It's so interesting to think about because it's a totally different situation. Now we've seen the last as many presidents as as, as I guess you go back to to George H. Uh, w. Bush to, to coming into office with control of Congress uh, at the same time, and you had that with with George W. Bush. You had that with uh, with Barack Obama. Uh, now you're having that with Donald Trump. But it's such a different animal. It, it, it Donald Trump. As, as Chuck Schumer just said, you know, he, he blew away the Republican Party before he blew away the Democratic Party. So, yes, he has uh, allies who work with him, but they are very skeptical of him. And the relationship between McConnell and Trump at times will be more strained than the, the relationship between Schumer and Trump. And, and it seems early on that Donald Trump knows that. He's not going into it with any uh, pretense about uh, Mitch McConnell or Paul Ryan being all in for his agenda. He's going to work with Democrats at times uh, as well. And I get the sense that Schumer is kind of uniquely positioned to exploit that. I think it would have been much harder for Harry Reid, who most Republicans had a visceral aversion to. Uh, He had a hard time working with Republicans at all. Um, And and I, you know, Schumer, as he said, he was never particularly close to Trump. He doesn't have a long history with him, but he knows him. And they're from New York and all of that. And... 
you know, Schumer's, Schumer's going to have a hard time keeping his caucus together, Lord knows, the Bernie Sanders, uh, Warren uh, wing. But I, I think he's going to be, I think the, the interaction, that's going to be one of the most interesting relationships in Washington is Chuck Schumer and Donald Trump. Yeah, and I think the New York thing helps. It may hurt at times, too. There are going to be some epic battles between oh Donald Trump and Chuck Schumer. And then there are going to be some areas where everyone is scratching their head about how they ended up He's going to be together. at signing ceremonies. I mean, oh, yeah. not many, uh, but he's going to be at the White House at some signing ceremonies. I, I'm with you. And I, and I think look, Senator Schumer has been in the Senate uh, for almost 20 years now, and uh, he came up through the ranks as a, as a Reed protege, a much different stylistically. Uh, in terms of being a national voice for the party, it's it, it's going to be a different face. And, and and I think you're right. He's going to have a hard time controlling his, his liberals in particular when he says we're not going to oppose this just because it says the word Trump. But don't underestimate the Trump side of this either. He, he knows where he can push this button, and, and he knows that Chuck Schumer has the most power of any Democrat to, to slow his agenda, will also have the ability to, to, to muscle things forward. And by the way, I, we asked about the filibuster. I, I got a sense that there's a little tinge of regret uh, to, to, to the yeah. nuclear option that was executed. And, and, I, and I do remember, I do remember uh, Mitch McConnell warning at the time that uh, the shoe will may be on the other foot sooner than you think. And, and I'm old enough to remember when, when, it was, when it was actually Chuck Schumer warning that of the majority yes, uh, back when they almost did the nuclear option back in the mid-2000s. Yes, it goes back yes, and forth because the majority does. All right, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to a former CIA director about this whole issue of, of Russian hacking and, and some of the issues that, uh, that the incoming president will be dealing with on the national security side. We'll be back in a minute with Powerhouse Politics. Hey, it's Rick here. We have another new podcast from ABC News to tell you about. It is Robin Roberts' Everybody's Got Something. She talks to famous guests like Giada De Laurentiis, Tony Robbins, Delilah, and more about how they've managed to overcome tough times in their lives. Again, that's Robin Roberts' Everybody's Got Something. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to our show. All right, joining us now on Powerhouse Politics, we're joined by James Woolsey, the former director of the CIA and somebody who's been advising President-elect Donald Trump. Uh, Mr. Woolsey, thank you for joining us. Good to be with you, sure. So uh, let me start start with the the... the, the news, the disturbing news uh, that, that we've uh, just seen unfold, uh, first in Turkey with the assassination of the Russian ambassador and and the, the terror attack or the apparent terror attack in Berlin. What, what What's your sense of what we're seeing unfold here? I, I have to confess, when I watched that assassination play out uh, on, on television, that uh, you just had this, I just had this creeping sense that that we're seeing something bigger than the assassination of an ambassador. Well, you're absolutely right. And a uh, terrible thing that, but um, we uh, are not fighting terrorism uh, effectively. We got to do a bunch of things uh, different. Uh, I think the biggest thing we have to do different is not just play defense. We're, we're sort of like a superb hockey team who has decided to put all its uh, players in as goalies. And uh, nobody goes on offense, uh, nobody passes, nobody does anything else. Um, and that is not going to work. We are in a war. We just don't want to admit it. It's, it's Trotsky once said, uh, you may not be interested in war, but war may be interested in you. Uh, they are coming after us with terrorism, and they will come after us with more. 
once Iran gets a nuclear weapon, which because of this terrible agreement that got signed uh, with them, I'm afraid is going to be before too long, you'll have terrorists uh, potentially armed with nukes uh, because Iran is the greatest sponsor of terrorism in the world. So let me let me move to another front of uh, a potential war here, and that has to do with the, the 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 supposed Russian hacking. And you've expressed your view that it probably is the Russians, uh, given the the consensus of the intelligence agencies. If that's the case, is that not an act of war? And, and what's the reaction? What are you advising President Elect Trump that he needs to do day one to respond to that? Well, the Russians have been. Uh undermining the ideology and beliefs of their neighbors and other countries for 60 or 70 years uh, now. Uh, This is not new uh, with the hacking. It's just the technology that's new. The Russians have a program called disinformatia, disinformation, otherwise known as systematic lying. Uh, and they uh, go after uh, institutions uh, in the West. Uh, they've been doing this for decades that they believe are at the heart of the West's uh, uh, ability to stand up to them. They go against uh, Jewish organizations. They go against the Catholic Church. They go against uh, political organizations and our European uh, allies. Uh, they uh, they rewrite documents to cover up their real nature. They smear people. They do this. They've been doing this for decades. Now they're starting to do it to some extent with cyber. Uh, but what's new is not what the Russians are doing. What's new is the technology. So is it that is it not that big a deal? I mean, is there is there not a response a that is necessary? Deal. Do you it's think in the new administration? Deal. Uh, one of the be- the most effective things you could possibly do to get the Russians to uh, uh, pull in their horns uh, is to uh, uh, go after the price uh, of oil. Uh, I've negotiated with the Russians four times in four different trees. Three of them, uh, uh, there was uh, no particular reason for them to get along with us, and so they took a very hard line, and so I had to as well. Um, then I started my fourth treaty negotiation for the Conventional Forces in Europe Treaty um, about two or three days before the Berlin Wall went down. And if you want to see friendly and cooperative Russians when you're negotiating with them, have something happen to them like the Berlin Wall going down. Let me tell you, they they were very nice. And we got the (laughs) treaty done very quickly and very effectively. The Russians will be sweethearts uh, as long as uh, we have weakened them. But if you stand there and hand uh, Syria off to them and say, "Okay, you deal with it, as Obama did after they crossed the red line that he uh, drew in the in the dirt. Do not uh, use chemical weapons against your uh, 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 against your uh, uh, your own people. They did. And he shrugged and said, oh, well, gee, uh, Russia, you decide. That's the way to make sure the Russians assert themselves um, and uh, and don't do anything you're interested in. But why why and you spent you've spent time with Trump. You've talked about these issues, I assume, with him. Why is Donald Trump from the moment that uh, the Russian connection was revealed? Why has he been so adamant in saying uh, he doesn't think it's the Russians? I think he was more inclined to go with the Federal Bureau of Investigation than, uh, than with the CIA, and they were split there for, for some time. They, they finally have kind of come together, and I think he's uh, willing to have a, have a look at, uh, at uh, going along with what consensus is. I don't think this is a, a big deal. What is uh, 
but what the reason I brought up that medal is that's what people keep coming back to, and it's what what they give to to visiting uh, astronauts and so forth. It's there's nothing much to it, but uh, but uh, almost everybody raises that as an example of how close to the Russians he is, and it's nonsense. Is there is there room? Do you think it's appropriate to, to develop that closer relationship with Russia? The signals we've gotten out of the emerging Trump administration is that they are looking to to have closer ties with Russia to put more pressure on China and view China as a much bigger threat. And and uh, it's been re- described even as a reverse Nixon. But do, do you do you believe there's something to that? You talk about economic pressure, but is there room to be closer to the Russians? It depends on whether the Russians are getting weaker or stronger. If they are getting stronger, because we are doing what we have done during the Obama administration, they will not be cooperative. They will order us around. If we find some way to weaken them, or they get weak because something has happened in the country, uh, they will be friendly. Uh, it's it's not an iron rule. Uh, uh, countries uh, have different uh, approaches toward things depending on tactical situations. Uh, in my experience, uh, the Russians are, are uh, nice as long as they think we're strong and they're weak. Just one one broad question for me, and I think it, it gets at this and, and a lot of other things because you spent a lot a lot of time with the president elect. You were involved in, in the campaign. Are you convinced that he takes office a month from now? ready for the job in, in every sense, particularly in the national security sense? Well, I think about as ready as uh, presidents usually are. We uh, uh, only on rare occasions, uh, about maybe a quarter of the time, uh, get uh, a president who is particularly experienced in foreign policy. People get elected uh, for all sorts of different reasons and uh, sometimes are experienced in government, as Lyndon Johnson was, but uh, not uh, in particularly in uh, in foreign policy. So everybody's going to be learning, and uh, I think the thing to do is to uh, help the president uh, uh, learn things about uh, uh, foreign matters. Uh, it'll, uh, I think he'll work his way into it as, as well as uh, many others have. And, and what, what do you see? Uh, do you see yourself taking a role in the administration? Uh, not that I know of. What's what's your uh, what have you been doing with the transition? What, what's your what's your level of involvement? Who, who do you talk to? Who's your kind of you know contact in the in in, in Trump world? Who do you? Well, deal with? I, I I don't I, I whoever wants to call me knows that they can reach me and I'll give them uh, my uh, my advice on things. And I uh, I've gone to a couple of uh, meetings. Uh, one at the tower. Uh, 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 a couple of phone conversations with uh, with Donald Trump, uh, uh, but I have not been as deeply involved as a, as a, a number of uh, people. But I, they know I'm available when they need me. And and your overall assessment of, of this team he's assembled, this national security team he's assembled. Well, I think the uh, the the cabinet members, uh, the choice on those is first rate. Um, and and uh, we don't uh, have a full set of uh, folks on the. Uh, um, uh, the cabinet yet. We still have two more uh, appointees uh, to go. Uh, but uh, I think he's assembled on the national security side. Yeah, I think he's he's put a good team together. All right. Former CIA director James Woolsey, thank you for joining us and thank you for your, uh, sharing some time with us here on Powerhouse Politics. Sure. Good to be with you. That'll do it for this week's edition of Powerhouse Politics. Please take a moment to rate and review the show on iTunes. 
You can find both of us on Twitter. I'm at John Carl. And Rick, where are you again? I'm at Rick Klein. And don't forget, you can find other ABC News podcasts by going to abcnewspodcast.com. And you can also find us. I mean, you know the places. It's so unbelievable. We're everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music. Tune in. This week's show was produced by Avery Miller and Ali Rogan, along with David Ryan. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you again next week.